Welcome back to The Professor and The Hack. We're up to episode 41. We are focused, as the world is right now, on coronavirus. And you're with me. I'm The Hack, Hugh Rimmonson, and uh, remotely uh, joining us, the Professor of Political Science and Network Political Editor for National uh, for for ten. G'day, uh, Hugh. Is, is, yeah, there you go. I'm starting to you take know. it personally. You're never around. No, well, you know, that's true. I'm bunkered <laughs> down, as they say. So, as is the country, increasingly, the work, so, work standards are going to really change, aren't they? Out of this, it's fascinating. Like the the idea of remote work, I think, is going to be so much more normalised when we come out the other side of this, uh, and, and in fact, for the facilitation of remote work uh, as a result of what's coming, what what hasn't even happened yet in terms of what we're likely to see on, on that front of changes. Not obviously everyone's focused because that, that's the health and the economy, but wow, it's going to be such a different world, I think, out the other side. Yeah, look, I think it's true. Although I, I, I was conscious of uh, of the ACTU uh, leader, Michelle O'Neill, saying that 70% of jobs are Can't still, do yeah. um, you still have to go there to the work. And uh, so the, the the work from home business is good for highly digital, digitalized work, um, media, finance, accounting, uh, you know, insurance, a whole bunch of this stuff, which is already sort of tracked off to call centers, and we don't mm. have to front up to anyone anyone anymore. So that all works, but uh, that still still leaves an awful lot of uh, tree loppers, plumbers, barbers, mm. um, you know retail uh, who don't have the opportunity to, to to work from home and increasingly we're seeing those people facing a very very uh, scary future as those yeah. jobs disappear and i'm not saying this in a trite way at all but i i need a haircut but i'm actually just not willing to go yeah. to the barber at the moment you know i'm i'm sort of i'm and i'm that's probably overly cautious but i just am you know i, I sort of i'm looking at it going how long can i get away with this before i actually am going to have to go get a haircut well, it's not for me to really give you any kind of style advice, uh, PVO, but you've needed a <laughs> I wasn't asking, just to, also... clear, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we, we've got serious major changes. We've got serious numbers. Mm. Um, we've got uh, what is now clearly a split uh, between the states, which uh, to give uh, proper sympathy, I suppose, to Scott Morrison, he's trying to straddle mm. states now with quite divergent views about what needs to be done. Uh, so it's being written somewhat as as um, uh, Scott Morrison essentially being you know blindsided by particularly New South Wales and Victoria, but in reality he's also trying to keep up with other states. Queensland has been uh, not- notably quiet about well, uh, as we go to worry about shutting things down. No, they've just had a media conference actually, um, okay. literally just before we chatted, um, and Anastasia Palaszczuk was essentially echoing Scott Morrison at this point in time. She had her chief medical officer with her saying similar things that what Scott Morrison said last night. So you've definitely got Daniel Andrews on a different page. Uh, we, we all knew that. And straddling somewhere between Daniel Andrews and Scott Morrison is Gladys Berejiklian. You know, she she's like one of those trapeze artists trying to stay on two wires at once, and they're getting ever further apart. And she's wondering what she does next. I think she's. I think I she's actually called it really well because. So, so, so let's look at the business about schools because so much of it deals with with schools. So, what uh, Dan Daniel Andrews has said is he's 
deftly got around the issue of not wanting to publicly humiliate the Prime Minister's position that the medical advice is that schools can mm. stay open. And he says, well, of course they can stay open, but we're going to go to holidays earlier so the teachers can get on with the business of, um, of preparing uh, in pupil-free days for the rest of the week, and then they go into holiday anyway. Which is what the um, ACT is doing as well. They're having pupil-free school. is still open, as the Prime yes. Minister says. It's yes. just student-free. <laughs> It's student-free, so, so, but here's the thing. So they can prepare for distance learning, and here's where, again, you get another one of these kinds of mixed messages, but everyone can see through it. But don't worry, term, the next term will resume as expected on the date. Do you believe that? Um, well, of course not. And if that was the case, why do you need to shut down school early so, so that teachers can become masters of distance learning? Plainly, as the Prime Minister himself says, if you shut these things down, you're looking to do it for six, weeks, six months. Mm. And that's... That's plainly a decision that um, Daniel Andrews has decided uh, to make and to enforce with an extra 500 uh, police officers. Meanwhile, you've got Gladys Berejiklian, who I think has also done it quite deftly in that she says the practical, not the health advice, the practical advice is that you shouldn't send your kids to school. Why, though? I, I don't have an answer to that because she says that the health advice is that you should send your kids to school, but the practical advice is that you should leave them home. Why? Yeah, unless you've got some essential other role or whatever, and so, or or, or you want to send them to school. It, it look it. it That's plainly, the one I, I actually can't. I, well, well, she, I, I well, genuinely want to already, hear it because, like, I I don't know what that actual reason is if it's not well, a health reason. So part of it is, is that as she says already last week thirty percent of uh, kids weren't going to school anyway, mm. and that she expected that this week that number would go up. So essentially, she's given a leave pass to all those parents who were doing. She's essentially ticked what parents are doing anyway in increasing numbers, and that is just pulling the kids out of school. And it's not being helped by Scott Morrison saying things like uh, that, that quite absurdly ill-judged. The thing about Morrison is, is that oh, I really wish him well. He's, got, he's a man with a hell of a big task. Uh, and yet he keeps on making these daft things from, you know, yeah, I'm going to the footy and Australians just keep being Australians, uh, to, to then very quickly, as most people could predict, as we predicted, you're getting down to no grounds, uh, Australians stop being Australians, stop going to the beach, stop going to the pub. Um, so he's doing this business about, uh, about schools. It's all cool to go to schools. Uh, you have to go to schools or otherwise essentially the economy shuts down. Gladys Berejiklian, on the other hand, saying, uh, look, the practical reality of it is keep your kids out of school. But if you need to send them to school, send them to school. Scott Morrison issuing a warning where he says, hey, look, parents, um, if you're not going to send your kids to school, uh, don't just let them go wandering around shopping centres. Uh, we warn you that you've got to take care of your responsibilities for the health of others. But I'm still trying to and you think And you're thinking, hang on a minute, if it's okay for kids to go to school and not present health issues for others, why is it not okay for them to go to a but shopping centre? This, this is why I actually don't understand the why. Why is Gladys Berejiklian advising parents to keep their kids home? Well, we do know that the uh, the Prime Minister told us himself in the interview on Sunday evening with uh, David Spears on the ABC mm. that the consensus, this is a direct quote, the consensus around whether schools should be kept open or not is being reviewed. Now, within an hour or two after that, he said the consensus has been reasserted. 
uh, and that is that it is okay to send your kids to school. But at the same time, we have known for some time people like Mark Scott, former head of the ABC, Hmm. who now heads up New South Wales Education, has said quite clearly that this has been for a couple of weeks a very, very active and contested space in conversations between uh, health officials, education officials, and premiers and so on for for weeks. So why is the – I mean, I know you're not a spokesperson, but I I, I just don't know. Why is the New South Wales Premier telling parents to keep their kids home? Do we know? Well, encouraging them to if you don't need to do so otherwise. I think because of the business of vectors of of children, there is this uh, reassurance that we're getting that children don't bring – uh, the disease are less likely to bring it in, but we've also heard other other messages from those who were initially arguing the herd immunity business is that kids will pick up the disease, but not but get a very very mild form of it. They may not even notice it, and so therefore they'll be shedding very low viral loads. This was the argument that was being made, and so therefore if you pick it up from a child. Uh, then you get it at a very low viral load level, and so therefore you yourself. As that an sounds adult, like a medical uh, reason, though. That sounds yeah, like a yeah, medical so, reason so, so, not so, to send kids to school. But she's well, saying that the medical advice is that kids. No, should that go was to a, that, that was initially a medical reason to send kids to school under right. the herd immunity argument, because your your success in beating coronavirus in part according to the evidence that has come out depends on the amount of the viral load you have and that is how much of the virus are you essentially washed with um in in the in your contact points so that if you've got small amounts of the virus that are coming into you your body will respond to so, it quite well and and the re- and this is where you see for example out of wuhan where they lost uh, the last report I saw, and that was some time ago, they lost 15 doctors, but they included previously healthy 29-year-old mm. doctors. And the reason that was being given is that they're just confronted with such a viral load that they get overwhelmed yep. by it. It doesn't matter that they were healthy or young. So, so why is the Premier saying that school children should be kept home? Well, she says it's a practical, not a, but, not a but medical what, reason. What, what, what is the practical reason? The practical reason is that parents are voting with their feet. So she's saying that... Her advice to parents is to not send your kids to school because a lot of parents aren't sending their kids to school. And because as they go, as well, yes, because, and she's, she's, I I thought she was reasonably clear about this, that, that um, as kids don't turn up to school, then teachers have got the task of trying to address the teach the kids who are not at school. So this is the online learning and schools have been scrambling by whatever means. Some are better equipped uh, some are richer and more able to do this than others. Some already have online learning and, and other kind of homework, which goes uh, through digital means to kids. Others are behind that. They could be poorer schools, lower. But one thing and another is that if you've got a teacher, it's very hard to teach a class while at the same time teach outside the class. And so at a practical level, you're going to reduce down the number of actual classes. I, I, I think that's what she's trying to say because people aren't going to be there. So, okay, so, because like, I, I – I think this is the least I've spoken in one of our podcasts. I know. I'm supposed to be asking you questions. I'm just completely – I can't actually find her reason for advising parents to do the opposite of the health advice unless she's just politically trying to straddle two positions. She doesn't want to screw over the PM publicly, but – she doesn't and, agree. And, and with- nor does Daniel Andrews. He's a Labor Labor Premier, but he's been careful to say that the National Cabinet Health Advice remains that it's okay to send your kids to school. It's, but he also said that the health advice that he's received 
is that shutting it's the schools early it. is the is the way to go. So and 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 this just goes to the difficulty that these are and and if we're sympathetic for a moment to the decision makers in this process, uh, they are getting contested advice, and uh, so what the national cabinet. But they're not saying is that, that, Hugh. I got to I got to say this. They're acting like there is no alternative health advice other than school should stay open and therefore, by extension, kids going to school is fine, other than the fact the Premier, for some reason in New South Wales, is advising parents to keep their kids at home. The Victorian Premier, for some reason, is going to an early school holidays. The ACT Chief Minister is making it pupil-free. Uh, if the, this is nothing short of inconsistent. I just, I, oh, no, I, I think no, it's a complete mess. There's no doubt about the inconsistencies. Look, there's no doubt about the inconsistencies. Uh, another inconsistency, if you like, is that Gladys Berejiklian says no child will be turned away from school. Now, that's not the Singapore experience, which is that children will certainly be turned away from they're school sick. if there's any reason to think that they might be symptomatic or carrying any uh, you know, any, any virus, mm. and and so they're getting checked for temperatures. But so, in a sense, um, it, it, in one aspect of what Gladys Berejiklian is saying in New South Wales, which is that the practical reason is to keep the kids for practical reasons keep the kids away. But you can send your kids to school, and if you've got you know, particularly if you're in a health worker or or in other essential areas, by all means, keep sending them to school. No child will be turned away. Uh, that is a different message to. Every child who is going to go to school will be temperature tested. There's a whole bunch of scientific argument coming down about the efficacy of temperature testing anyway as to, as to whether that is all that mm. effective at, at deciding whether someone's carrying the virus or not, particularly those who are asymptomatic. Nevertheless, um, it doesn't really matter if little Johnny or Jenny has got, uh, you know, a, a, a bit of a snotty nose. Uh, you can still, on see, the basis of that argument, send them to school. See, I, I have more time for the clarity that was provided by Daniel Andrews, which is we're shutting schools now. That's what we're doing full stop. And then whatever he says about what they'll do on the other side of school holidays, we'll see at how far advanced we are then. You know, it was just over a week ago that the PM said he was going to the footy and the chief medical officer said it was A-OK to shake hands. So, you know, when they tell us something definitively now, let's revisit in a week. I was more happy with him and I'm more happy as the kind of polar opposite of him what the Prime Minister said in his late-night press conference where he's standing by the decision that people should go to school, uh, Gladys Berejiklian, and I, I don't really understand where she's sitting because she's saying that it's okay to go to school medically. That's what the advice is that, that's what the advice is that should happen. However, for some sort of apparent practical reason, what, maybe that they don't use public transport because that's also okay apparently, she's saying that parents should stay, should keep their kids at home. I yeah, the I, messaging, I just don't look, get the it. messaging is mixed. There's there's no doubt about it. But they all and, and sometimes I sympathetically uh, put myself in the position of a decision maker, and that is that you uh, you're trying to find a mechanism which meets what is now increasingly a public demand, and that is that kids should be allowed to be taken out of school without. Um, being disadvantaged uh, in the sense of they're not marked as being absent without reason and all this sort of stuff, um, and that they can have, you know, some schools have already, you know, for over a week now have had online learning and other mechanisms. To See, do, that, that's to- a little bit more like what the Queensland Premier has said. So she said schools are open, parents should send their kids to schools. However, any kid that doesn't go to school, uh, that's up to them. 
So they're, they're yeah, if you like, much, exonerating. Well, except that yeah. Gladys is actually advising parents not to send their kids to school. Or she's encouraging them not to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's in, it's, it is in the nuance to a certain degree. But they're also trying to keep, uh, you know, there was a suggestion that they were going to shut schools but keep at schools uh, places which are essentially going to be childcare because there are different age ranges with minimal teachers to look mm. after the kids of health workers and other sorts of things. And teachers kind of pushing back a bit at that, saying, hey, we're not, we're not babysitters, uh, we're teachers. And... Um, but it's it's hard to just suddenly start teaching, you know, if you're a primary school, everyone from K mm. to year six, um, because you've only got a small group and you're trying to limit the number of teachers who are exposed, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the education system has been blown up and will have been blown up despite the best efforts of teachers, the enormous efforts of teachers for for six months through this winter flu season. And on the epidemiological charts that we've seen, that say that ICU beds at the current rate of increase, and bear in mind that New South Wales overnight, as we speak, has had an increase in infections of over 25%, the highest rate Mm. of increase that we've yet seen. So we're still charting up to that point where we're going to actually get more people sick and needing ICU beds and ventilators than we have uh, to give it to them. So, And this will fall into the next term of school. So we're not going to be having term two start again and kids going back to school because we'll be in the middle of it by then. Mm. We need to take a break, Hugh. Maybe while we're off air, you can get me up to speed about what Gladys is saying because I am more confused than I think I've ever been at any point in my entire life. (laughs) Talk soon. Looking for your next favourite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Welcome back. We're up to episode 41. We're halfway through it here. Hugh, Um, I'm I'm none the wiser, by the way. Um, I'm I'm still just perennially confused on this thing. Maybe we just have to move on. You're a professor of political science, Pete. (laughs) PBF, if you're none the wiser, then we're all uh, stuffed. I, I, um, I genuinely feel dumber for trying to understand Gladys's position. I've, I'm a bit more sympathetic to it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can tell, I but I just uh, – anyway, I mean, I've, I've got sympathy for every decision maker at one level because, you know, better them than me, you know, God. Um, but I, she confuses me. But more – this is – maybe we, we move on. The, the, the thing that gets me is that I feel like they're late. And the Prime Minister, and he's not alone here, but he is the boss, so let's focus in on him at this stage. He's been late to everything and it erodes a bit of confidence, you know? Like for me, I know I keep saying this, but leaders have to set an example and it takes time for their example to seep into the consciousness of the population. So when one week ago Scott Morrison was saying, I'm going to the footy and the chief medical officer was saying, I'm shaking hands and that's all good. One week later to scold the populace for not showing adequate social distancing because over those seven days, he's adjusted his position incrementally day after day. I'm not saying he's wrong on the advice about doing that. If the advice, and I don't know, right? He may be, he may not be. That's, that's, you know, that is information he has. Where I think he's wrong is that, if their trajectory showed that this is where we're going and 
they've got trajectories to show wherever it is we're going next. A leader has to set the example of what is required in the days ahead, not at that exact moment, because their behavior takes time for others to follow. So people at the moment are coming to terms with the fact that, yes, yeah, Scomo said we can go to the footy. Whereas if he wanted them to be socially isolating the way that they're being demanded to do right now and he wanted them to do it instantly when he tells them, then he needed to start doing it a while ago so that by now they would be going, wow, okay, we're going to have to start really doing this. Otherwise, the lag effect is going to mean that the demands that they are putting on the population, the population are never going to do quickly enough and he's going to blame us. That's what he did at his late-night press conference. He scalded individuals in society, the Australian people, for not doing exactly what he wasn't himself doing one week ago. I think one of the phrases that really disturbed me was in that early press conference where, you know, he's still trying to be the kind of the man of the people and the suburban mm. dad, and he said, um, you know, Australians, you just got to keep on being Australians, and we're going to get through there. It was a meaningless – you picked it up. It was a meaningless kind of thing to say. Yeah. But nevertheless – you know, uh, when you've got the Prime Minister saying, hey, we've got this thing that's going on, it's a kind of a global pandemic, credit to him, he got out early, said it was going to be a pandemic well before World Health Organization did. They were early in shutting down flights from China, even though they knew the cost that that would make to, for example, the education sector and yep. so on. Uh, then he says, Australians, just keep on being Australians, we'll be okay. And then get outraged when everyone goes to the beach. <laughs> what is more Australian on a hot, sunny day in Sydney than to go to well, the beach and- on a Sunday evening? And And then... People getting peeved off, you know. You, and a week after just... he said he was going to go to the football himself. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, literally, he had a Sunday night late media conference one week after the Sunday that his CMO was shaking hands and saying it's A-OK to do that. And one week later on the same day, one week later, scalding people for not being more careful and cautious with their social distancing the public, it's like anything. You tell you tell somebody something a dozen times and maybe on the 12th time they'll start paying attention over a period of time. So these guys surely have had projections. We've had the international evidence to support the projections. If he wants people right now to be socially isolating, which they damn well should be, you know, I'm in lockstep on that, a leader has to set the example early, not late. And they shouldn't be saying, I'm off to the damn football, and then one week later saying, hey, everyone, socially isolate. It takes time for people to respond. Well, the irony of this is that this is Scotty from marketing, and while that is used as a kind of a pejorative, a bit of a sneer against Scott Morrison, they are supposed to be his core skills and credentials as how to market a message. And and so this is why it should fall into his natural skill set to be able to guide and direct us um, by marketing messages to us, by understanding the importance for clarity, repetition, uh, for the early framing of these things, not for it to be left to people like Norman Swan from the ABC or others. So what I feel we have is a country, it is shifting, of course, shifting every hour, but we, we had from the start people who were attuned to what was happening overseas uh, whether they were professionals as as doctors, as economists, uh, as journalists, um, who were saying, uh, look, this thing's big and can only get way bigger. And the only way in which it seems to be being managed is by shutting things down. 
And mm. then, if you like, the lackadaisical, easygoing Australian, and all credit to her and him, uh, for whom what goes on overseas is basically pretty distant. And therefore, e they're, quite, they're quite able to be lulled and shushed by uh, the political classes when they say, I'm off to the footy, don't worry, we're Australians, we'll get through this just by, you know, look after your elders and all this sort of stuff. And so they go, yeah, that's not really for me. So what I saw, for example, on my street at the weekend was, this is after we're told to socially isolate, to cut down on groups. There was a party of about, looked to me like about 40 or 50 preppy young men, I don't know, I don't know where they came from, I've never seen them before, uh, crammed into a place and, and just regularly sort of making ventures down to the local pub to pick up the local bottle to pick up more grog and, and bring it back in again. And you're thinking, well, these guys are not connected. It's the same as the Bondi Beach gatherings and others that we've seen when they put in the limitations on 25 per 100 square metres in your pubs. I went down to a local pub. They had uh, carefully and correctly written down how many people are allowed in each room. Um, but when you stick your head in the pub, there's vast empty spaces and tight clusters of pretty young things all out, you know, partying and, and socialising and Instagram picturing each other in a tight knot of people. And so, you know, it's not really totally Scott Morrison's fault that people are not taking that seriously. But as a marketing man, you'd think that uh, he'd be aware of how to fashion those messages yeah. a bit more effectively. Look, He's look, getting there. We're getting there, but we're far too slow. And even then, and you saw the him issue, in that right? interview. You saw him on that interview with David Spears on Sunday night, where he's saying, "I'm here to protect as many livelihoods and lives as I can." And then when he said, "This thing is the impacts of this thing are going to break many hearts. Kids are going to lose an entire year of school. You know, if you do anything, if you shut down, you've got to realize you're going to do this for six months." He's putting out, you know, these rescue payments. He's saying there's going to be more coming, and and. So the question is, has he, uh, as a former treasurer, been more concerned about the economy having something going through it than the lives that need to be saved? And that's the question, right? What's the answer? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be too unfair and just say, yep, that's true. The economy was the focus and that was a mistake. The health didn't come first. The health is clearly coming first now. Uh, I, I, I think, um, but there are question marks about whether that was always the case. Um, oh, look, I, I am very critical of the lack of leadership by example, uh, by the sounds of it more than you are, Hugh, because I just can see the importance of it for the populace. It doesn't make it his fault that people aren't doing the right thing. People have individual responsibility to themselves, their close loved ones and to the community writ large in that sense. So it's not his fault but he's not helping when he doesn't set an example so recently. Uh, and the fact that he's now setting the example, that's great. It's better than him not setting the example now, but it's not, it's too late. You know, it's too late for an, an, a huge quantum of damage already being done, but hopefully it's not too late to avoid the kind of catastrophe that we're seeing in a place like Italy. But I think it's hard now for us uh, with the trajectory when you look at where we're going to emulate the places we wanted to emulate, like Singapore and Hong Kong. Yeah. Our best case scenario now would be to come back at this the way that South Korea did, where it escalated hard, but then they did arrest it. Um, we, we can still follow their curve, but it's beyond us now with where we're already at to follow the curves of 
Hong Kong and Singapore. And tragically, that's going to uh, that's almost certainly that curve is going to take us beyond the ICU uh, capacity. Yeah. And so that means then that there are going to be decisions. And it means where there are going to be decisions being made by doctors. I speak to a lot of doctors, uh, you know, emergency doctors, others. Um, a lot have contacted me, uh, and they know they're going to be in that position of making choices of who yeah. gets what. They and move a practical to- decision. They- and, in fact, if you take, um, you know, if you're young and you wind up needing a ventilator, uh, you'll probably get there over someone who's, say, 65 with, say, you know, early emphysema or something else going on. They'll probably say, well, give it to the young person. And uh, someone I know who is vulnerable in these circumstances are saying, it will annoy me to have the ventilator handed over to a, a young person who's in a whole bunch of trouble if it was the same young person who was down at Bondi Beach uh, and thumbing their nose at uh, the dangers. Um, so you start to get that slight tension in the social fabric about who should get. I mean, why wouldn't you get tension in the social fabric? Who gets the ventilator? It's a life and death decision. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and, and, and we're going to come to that. There's almost inescapable at this point. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we're moving from <clears throat> peacetime triage to wartime triage, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. You know, peacetime triage is that you leave the person with the badly broken arm in emergency while you treat the person with the life-threatening condition. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, and then you get to the broken arm when you can. You know, plenty of people have experienced that waiting in emergency centres uh, for things that are bloody painful or, or not great. But guess what? It's much more important. Peacetime triage, we've got to save this person who's got a life-threatening condition. Wartime triage, which is what Italy is well and truly in the midst of and in all likelihood we're going to end up stuck with it as well, is what you're describing. Um if there's a 70-year-old using a ventilator uh, and then there's a 40-year-old that comes in with no access to a ventilator but they need one, it just gets taken away from the 70-year-old. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, you know, on social media people saying, oh, no, people who are over 70 have got only five-plus years or so, plus or minus, to live. So it's right that they shouldn't get it. And you're thinking, well, you know, there are plenty of people, the, the, the life expectancy in Australia is uh, – is well in the 80s, higher for women than men. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's a lot of years of life you're taking off someone because the thing has become overwhelmed because we haven't got onto it early or hard enough. And if it's a decision about, you know, if you look at the John Daly from the Grattan Institute, who's made his analysis, it's been widely shared about endgame ABC. What are you trying to do here? And he he soberly goes through the various options and fundamentally says that, the only way in which you're going to save your economy ultimately or, or, or give it a chance to get going again is to go absolutely hard mm. at the early stages so that you can start to wind back those infections because, um, you know, you, you, you're just delaying the inevitable for your economy and deepening its decline if you're leaving yeah. – you know the you know the economy to stay active enough so that infections continue to rise at the rate they're going. Yep. Uh, I so mean, we're, pe- we're, we're we're out of time, Hugh. But let let me just throw this in at the end, uh, going hand in glove with what you're talking about. And this isn't a criticism of decision makers because I haven't got the full matrix of options that they were afforded uh, when doing so. But there was definitely, I'm assuming, the potential early enough at some point to lock us down, to stop the virus either getting in sufficiently or at all 
such that it would spread the way that it now is, where it is essentially out of control. There was a, a moment in time where we could have done that as an mm. island nation and it would have crunched us economically, uh, but out the other side of that crunch, instead of having the lockdown that we have anyway now from the rest of the world, we would also have the capacity to all be freely moving within our communities to be contributing to the domestic tourist industry because that's all there is, no travel abroad, to be having lunches and dinners at cafes, to be greeting normally potentially as well because the virus is literally not in our nation. Now, it's not actually a criticism painting that picture of decision makers. Uh, New Zealand, I think, has a chance of going down that path. Tasmania might be able to do the same because of their shutdown, but Australia just can't. And I'm not saying it to blame anyone uh, because it probably was too early for any realistic political decision maker to have been so out in front of this. Unless they were a mighty leader. Yep, but that was a potential for a nation like Australia. It is gone and we should reflect on that in the months and years and decades ahead as we look through and then back on just how deep this crisis became. Yeah, and just one final scoop before we go. I'm advised from very senior levels that Australia is going to be called upon uh, shortly by Pacific Islands. A number of Pacific Islands, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, others uh, have coronavirus cases. In the case of Fiji, they have effectively no hand sanitizer uh, available, uh, let alone other other things uh, mm. that they're going to need to fight this. So across the Pacific in the in the weeks ahead, expect to see uh, some some rescue work, uh, a humanitarian corridor is being described as uh, to go and try and save our Pacific Island friends. So um, mm. it won't be us just looking after us. We've got others we have responsibilities to as well. PVO, uh, good to talk to you as always. Sorry, it's such a grim time. Yeah. But uh, everybody listening, stay well and uh, and be conservative in your uh, choices about what you do. Is it all too early for a drink? <laughs> Let's all crowd up somewhere. See you, man. A quarantini. See you, buddy. You have been listening to a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. 